Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning, church. Oof. People not very happy today, hey? <laughs> it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Yeah, of all the places we'd rather be this morning, this is the best place to be. Before um, I get into the word this morning, um, just a, a little update um, about ourselves, about our family. Uh, most of you would probably know that about, um, about three weeks ago now, um, we lost our brother-in-law. Um, he was 41, um, and he passed away tragically, unexpectedly, and um, kind of hit us quite, quite badly. And I just want to thank everyone that is here, everyone that's been praying for us, everyone that's been holding us up, um, not just praying, but also um, physically. And, you know, just the, the funeral was held here. And just for every, every hand that was put here, um, we really, really do appreciate it a lot. We do appreciate and love all of you very much. Um, and I suppose as if that wasn't uh, bad enough, uh, last week, Friday, I think most of you would probably know this now, but just not this Friday, it passed the week before. Uh, my sister Inez, who fellowships here, was in hospital already for about a week, and um, a lot of her test results came back. And unfortunately, um, the results weren't that good. Um, she's got an advanced stage of cancer in her abdomen area. But we trust in God, amen, and we believe God. And um, we've been praying, and thank you all for praying as well for her. I know there's been a lot of home groups that have been play, uh, praying and, and lifting her up. And this week, I think um, I'll share some of that in the sermon this morning. But some of this week, God has just been building faith in us like never before. And um, I'm really glad for that. I'm thankful for that. And we all stand together and believe that he can heal in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's get back into the word of the Lord this morning. Hebrews chapter 3. We are reading, we are going through the book of Hebrews. And um, Johann's already done chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I tell you what, one day when I get to heaven, um, I hope firstly there's PVR there, because I want to see the parting of the Red Sea. Um, I want to see David kill Goliath. Um, I want to see all of these things. And, and one of the things that I'm going to do when I get there is I'm going to go up to Paul. And I'm going to ask him, did you write Hebrews? <laughs> and if he says yes, I'm going to smile. And I'm going to tell a lot of people, I told you so. <laughs> and if he says no, I'd say, well, you should have. <laughs> uh, the writer, we don't know who it is, we think it might be Paul, but he writes to a Jewish audience, which is very different to most of the other books in the Bible which, and the New Testament, which was written mainly for Gentiles. But I mean, some of them were written for Jews, like, the, like Peter, you know. Um, but, th but this book was written to Jews um, 
that were now living in Rome. A lot of them would have probably converted around the time of Pentecost. So there'd been a number of years that have gone by, maybe 30 odd years. And the author of this book, if you read through it, his biggest concern is that they do not lose their inheritance. One thing for sure was that this group of Jews were very discouraged. They had been Christians for a long time. They had been waiting for the Savior to come, and they had been very discouraged. And so the writer of Hebrews comes to encourage them, but he also comes to warn them. And when he encourages them, it is so sweet. It is, it is so tender. And yet when he warns them, it's the most scariest thing under the sun. And this is something we'd, we'll probably look at at the end today, these two things of God encouraging and God warning us. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 12. You can read this and follow with me in your Bibles. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. And this is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The first thing in, in verse 7 there, it says, if you hear his voice. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to steal a bit of thunder from someone whoever's preaching in the next two weeks from chapter 5, um, verse 11, where he says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to hear. That's what the NIV says, the ESV, which is our authorized version here in our church, does not say slow to learn. It says that you are hard of hearing. And I went back and just looked. I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, Costa speaks Greek probably, but I believe the original Greek there means that you are hard of hearing, as the ESV says. Now, when I wor worked in, in corporate many years ago, I worked for a pharmaceutical company, we had an on-site nurse that was there to ensure our well-being, and we kind of got free medical attention and all of that. And then one day, my wife said to me, you need to get your hearing checked. And um, I didn't know why, because I think I've got phenomenal hearing. I, you know, I mean, I play music, I can hear stuff, uh, I, and, and it's always been like that. But she said, you need to get your hearing checked. So I went to this nurse, and I said, I need to get my hearing checked, because my wife said so. So anyway, she puts me into this booth. It's like a phone booth type thing. You sit in there, they put these earphones over your ears, and then there's these noise, and then she gives you a little button to press as well, and then these noises come. It goes like beep, bomp, boom, beep, bomp. And every time you hear that bomp, bomp, beep, bomp, bomp, you gotta press the button so that you're actually hearing this thing. And so I went, I did it, I could hear all of this, and I pressed and whatever, and then the results came out, and she said, 
No, there's actually nothing wrong with your hearing. You probably can hear stuff that the cats and dogs can hear, but there's nothing wrong with your hearing. And so I went back home and I said that there's nothing wrong with my hearing. And uh, we then discovered that there is a difference between hearing and listening. Uh, and apparently, I don't do the latter. But it's also hard to listen to something if you don't hear. And um, we grew up with an aunt of ours all, all our life. It was my granny's sister who stayed with my granny, um, who was deaf. And up until, uh, I think, seven or six years ago now, she's gone to be with the Lord. Um, but all our life, you know, we've been a part of that, and we know something about that. And I can tell you this, deafness, unless it's from an accident or you're born with it, comes in stages. There's stage number one where you put your hand over your ear and you say, what did you say? Or huh? Right? There's stage number two where you wear a hearing aid, which, you know, is not very comfortable. I can imagine it being quite a humble experience, actually, but I see more and more people wearing that now. And then there's stage three where you wear a, a stronger hearing aid and that's also in your ear but you have something around your neck that also picks up the vibration so as it's picking up you can hear it. And then there's the worst stage and that is when you are now profoundly deaf and you cannot even hear the thunder. There, here no hearing aid works. That's the worst scenario. And at a spiritual level, level, Hebrews is saying that you have already become hard of hearing. And the fear is that if this continues, the time will come that they cannot be renewed again under repentance because you can't repent if you don't hear. If you can't hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. You see, the danger is if you come to a place where you can't hear God speaking to you anymore. And this is a very dangerous situation. And I'm talking this morning about Christians. I'm not even talking about people who do not know the Lord. I'm talking about Christians who fail to hear what God is saying to us. And this is also something that does not happen overnight. When you look at cases of where Christians do fall, it's not something that just happens overnight. It happens over time where you have not heard God speak to you anymore. Some people stay in the church. There could be some people even preaching from this pulpit. Some theolo theologians that fancy they know the Bible so well, but they just don't hear God speak anymore. You can be a Christian, but you just don't hear God speak anymore. And if you have a fear this morning that that might be you, let me tell you, if you come here this morning and you are gripped by the worship and you are gripped by his word, and if you come here Sunday after Sunday and you are gripped when this word of God has been preached and read. That's good news. That's a good sign. You can still hear him speak. But if you sit here and you say, I don't see what the fuss is all about. 
I get nothing out of this. If Christianity has become old hat to you, then with respect, uh, that's not a good sign. But as long as you are gripped by what God is saying, that is good. It's a good sign. Verse 7, it says, today if you hear his voice, and today to you, if you hear his voice, take it with both hands and say, thank you, Lord. I can hear you speak. Thank him and become very careful that you do not become hard of hearing. There's a few things that I, that I want to go through. We'll see how we go and how we drink for time today. But verse 9, it talks about where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did to be able to see the things that God can do. The Bible tells us to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can ask or imagine. The things that you're trusting God for at the moment, your, your healing or your finances or the grief or whatever it is, God can actually do above what you can imagine. But you need to be able to see it in here first before you can experience it out there. Often I hear people saying it would be great if it was like Jesus' day today, people being raised from the dead and, and all the miracles and, and the blind seeing and the deaf hearing, um, then lots of people in the world will be saved. No, they won't. They won't. They didn't believe it actually in Jesus' day. Jesus rose from the dead and they still wouldn't believe it. And I think you've got to have a really kind of cold heart to see someone raised from the dead and, and not believe it. To see a dead person wake up and go, how's it? And still not believe it. I mean, that would be crazy. But, but they didn't believe it. Yeah, he wasn't dead for that long. He was mostly dead. And that's what I like about the story of Lazarus, because he was dead for three days. And Jesus knew he was dead. And he waited, and he waited. In fact, his disciples came to him and said, look, why, why are you waiting? Why, why are you taking so long? Why are you waiting so long? And Jesus said, I'm tired of people being mostly dead. I want someone who's really dead, dead dead. And he was dead dead three days in the tomb. And Jesus comes in and he tells them, remove the stone. Everyone goes, bad idea. This guy probably reeks by now. He stinks. And there's miracles, but this is like too much. And Jesus says, no, roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And, and this guy comes hopping out, still having the linens and stuff around him. And the people would still not believe it. There were Pharisees that were there witnessing this, and they actually ran back and they started planning Jesus' death. They didn't believe it. We think if people see miracles like parting of the Red Sea or the manna from heaven, they think about the plagues that came to Egypt during the time of Pharaoh. They saw all of this. 
You think that people will believe, but they still didn't believe. When they come out, Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days. They make themselves a golden calf. When they come down, he sees them dancing naked around this calf, worshiping a cow. A cow. You know, maybe choose a lion or something with some personality, but they chose a cow. And they're praising a cow. They saw miracles that you, listen, they, they saw miracles that you and I have to go to movies to watch and experience. They experienced this for themselves, and they were worshiping a cow. They saw this with their own eyes and they were worshiping. You see, because they saw it here with their eyes. They didn't see it in their insight. And time and time again, God warned them about it. Many of us are saying, no, I'll believe it when I, after I've received it. And God is saying, no, believe it before you receive it. And that's when you will receive your miracles called faith. And this past week, has been a, a real struggle because worry tends to get into you. Doubt tends to get into you. Fear gets into all of us. We're human. And I was just thinking, May was saying last week, yesterday actually, that faith takes effort. And in my mind I'm thinking, but worry takes effort. You worry about something and your mind races to somewhere where it's not, it's not even there. The situation is not even there, but you worry about it, you fret about it, you stress over it, and it does absolutely nothing. In fact, it makes things worse. Instead of that, won't you just take that around, turn that around and turn it into faith. Turn it into our big God. We believe in our God who can heal, who can restore. We believe that. Verse 10. God says, this is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. They have not known my ways. This phrase has been used several times by God of ancient Israel. And you know what God wants you to know more than anything else is to know his ways. He wants you to know his ways. He says it in Isaiah that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts not your thoughts. And he goes on to say just as the heavens are higher, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But we need to know God's ways. There's various things about God and about his personality. You may not like his ways, but he is the only God you've got. So you should get used to him and learn his ways because also that's what he wants. He wants you to learn his ways of Two weeks back, Johan was talking to the eldership team and he mentioned, uh, he mentioned this briefly about Samson and when the angel came to his parents and said, you'll conceive a son. And the parents says to the angels, teach us so that we will be able to bring him up in the ways of the Lord. Teach us. And this morning our hearts desire is God that you teach us to know your ways. You know what a true friend is? My wife is a true friend of mine. A true friend is someone who knows 
all about you and still likes you. And God wants you to know all about him. And he wants you to see all about him. And then he wants you to think what you need to think about him. And you see, the problem with the ancient um, Israel is that they did not enter into their inheritance because they did not know his ways. Seek to know his ways. Now suppose this morning God came to you like the way he went to Solomon and he said, you can ask of me of anything, anything, right? He went to Solomon, he said, ask of me of anything. Solomon asked for wisdom and God said, because you have asked for wisdom, I'll also bless you with this, this, this and everything else. But suppose God came to you today and he said, name it, claim it, it's yours. You've got it. Heath, what would you say? Don't answer. That's just rhetorical. But if God came and said, you could have anything you want, think about it. All of you, think about it. If God came right now, Reuben, God came and he said, anything you found favor would be, it's yours. What would you say? And do you know the same thing happened to Moses? I'm not gonna give you the chapter just yet because I wanna test you. But there's a chapter in Exodus where God comes to Moses and he says, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And Moses then says, Lord, if you are pleased with me, then, what do you think he said? So if you didn't know what followed and you had to fill in the blanks then, what, what, would, what would it, you know, what, what do you think he said? What, he added something there. And, and this question was actually put to a few people not so long ago. What if God came to you and said, you can ask for anything? One man's response was, he said that he was praying to God that his eldest sister would come back to the Lord. That's good. That's a good thing to ask for the Lord. Another person said, I will ask for good health. Again, we can understand that. Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? And blind Bartimaeus said, I want my sight. They asked this, other, this question to other people. I don't think they were, they were too spiritual. They asked them, what would you say? They said, we wish we could win the lotto. They put this question to Archie Kendall once and he said that he would ask for a double portion of the anointing. That's good. These are, all, these are good things to ask for. It's spiritual. But here's my question this morning. Suppose God came to you and said, I am pleased with you. Now, what do you want? Hey, are you speaking to me in Spanish? Chat later. And I know sometimes when we when we do this as well, we kind of make it like holy. You know, we ask for God for something that um, He will be happy with that we ask. You know, (laughs) rather than just asking for for what it is, not necessarily what we really want, but just think how would God like 
interpret this and we will ask based on what. But God says he's found favor. So you can ask. You can ask of anything. What would it be? What would you ask for? And you know what Moses said? Exodus chapter 33 verse 18. He said, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. I thought about that and I don't think I would have asked for that. There's so many things that I want God to do at this point in time. And this shows you why Moses was the greatest leader of people in history. When he was told that he found favor with God and Moses said right back to him, teach me your ways. And that's the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. And that's the kind of relationship God is wanting you to have with him. And when God reflected on that generation of ancient Israel, as he said here in verse 10, they have not known my ways. Teach us your ways, oh God. And this past week in preparation for the sermon, and um, I'm so glad that I was able to swap with Marlies. Thank you, Marlies. And in praying for my sister and in praying for our family, this has become my prayer, Lord, Teach me your ways through this whole thing. I want to get to know you, that I might know your ways. And do you know how you get to know somebody's ways? Spending time with them. And some of you might think you, you know me, you know my ways, you hear me preaching from time to time, you hear me in the band, and you might think that you know my ways. But not really. My wife, she knows my ways. We've been married, we'll be married for 16 years this year. We know each other for about 22 years now. And, and she knows my ways. We could be watching a movie together and she'll know what I'm thinking about this. For the most part, I'd also know what she's thinking. You know, we might listen to a politician in the sauna um, or, or a preach or a sermon and she'll know exactly what I'm thinking about this whole thing. And sometimes I know what she's thinking, thinking about it. It's because we've spent that time together, we've been together so long that she knows my ways. How much time do you spend with the Lord? Leaders in the church today, how much time are you spending with God? How much time do you, do you pray? I know there's this big thing about quality and quantity and people often say, well, it's not about the quantity or how long it is, but the quality of the prayer. But you know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. You show someone how you value that person by how much time you give them. Martin Luther in his journal, he said this, I have a very busy day today, must not spend two hours, but three in prayer. John Wesley would not even think of going out into the day without two hours on his knees. 
Church poll was taken recently with uh, leaders in the church, um, priests and, and, um, and pastors and evangelists and just about everyone they could find, both sides of the Atlantic. And they asked this question anonymously of how much time you spend in prayer. You know what the average response was? The average amount of time that a leader of a church or leaders in a church spend time in prayer daily was four minutes. And we wonder why the church is powerless. And no wonder it's been said that if the Holy Spirit had to leave the church today, 90% of the work of the church would go on as if nothing happened where we begin to rely on our coffee to draw people into church. Most mega churches in the US will be closed today. They've declared it a, a state, of, um, state of emergency. And um, most, I think 250 or so people, every church will be closed today. And I sometimes wonder, Actually, during this week, um, I, I told my wife, I said that um, the World Health Organization has, um, has declared the coronavirus uh, a pandemic. She said, yo, that's, that's serious. That's really, really bad. What does it mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know what a pandemic means. But imagine that today, most Christians would not be able to go into a building where there's a full-on band, where there's lights at play, maybe smoke machines, um, a, a preach that comes and tickles the ears of people where it's just a motivational thing. People won't be able to actually go to that. How would they survive just having church on their own? Because they are the church, one-on-one -on -one with God. Would they actually be able to manage that? And I'm thinking most people have just gone so far coming to church, coming on a Sunday for the show that's been put on because we've just forgotten his ways. Could it be said of you that you have not known his ways? And there's many things about God that you might not like, like the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You might not like that, but that's who he is. And we need to know his ways. The more you take time to find out, the more you read the Bible, you realize how lucky we are to have a God that we do in his mercy and in his justice. Take the time to know him because the more I know him, the more I love him and the more I look forward to finding out more about him. And it's gonna get even better. And the amazing thing is that's what God wants. He wants us to know him more. As long as you can hear his voice, get to know his ways. And as I close this morning, verse three, uh, sorry, chapter three, verse 11, God says, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, the oath, O-A-T-H. When God said, I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest, they didn't. Um, going on again, Hebrews 6, uh, whoever's going to do that in a few uh, weeks, it says that it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. And therefore, when he swears and when he gives an oath, that is it. That's the word. 
So God cannot lie. And uh, Hebrews 6, 18, it talks about two unchangeable things. The, what are these two unchangeable things? It's the oath and it's the promise. The promise and the oath. With the promise and the oath, they both are true. They both come from God. They are words they both come from God. But the difference is a promise has an attached condition to it. I will do this if you will do that. That's a promise. With an oath, there's no conditions attached to it. When you take your marriage vows, it's an oath for better, for worse, for sickness, uh, for health, sickness and in health. So in other words, it's not conditional. I can't just be married to my wife when it's good and when we're healthy and whatever. There's no conditions attached to it. Um, even in sickness and in the bad times, we're still married. And that's an oath. There is no conditions to it. So if God swears in his wrath, there's not a thing you can do to change that. You can't change God's mind. Again, in, in, in Exodus, um, Moses sends out 12 people, one from each of the tribes, to go and spy the land, to come back with a positive report, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, we can go into the promised land. Let's go. Let's do it. We can, we can do this. But the other 10 said, oh, no. <laughs> Forget it. We like grasshoppers. And these guys are like giants. And of course, the unsanctified majority overruled them. And then God said, okay, you don't go in. And Moses said, okay, you don't even try now. It's too late. God has sworn, he has said no. A few days later, they all repented and uh, the people said, we will go. And they did, and they were slaughtered. God swore on his wrath that nothing could be done to change that. And not one person entered the land. And when they all died, then a new generation came and they went in into the land, of course, with Caleb and Joshua. And so when God swears an oath, it's over, it's done. The opposite is also true, according to Hebrews, because Hebrews, again, talks about the things that accompany salvation. So we're not talking about a salvation issue. We all saved, we all going to heaven, but there's things that accompany salvation, things like our inheritance in God. And so the same God who can swear in wrath can also swear in his mercy and it can't be turned around. It is irrevocable, it is inescapable, it cannot be turned around. Your inheritance is assured. And this is what happened with Abraham when he offered Isaac and he did something that did not make sense. When Isaac was the only link to the promise, the promise that his descendants will be as numerous as the sand of the grains of sand on the seashore, when his descendants would be as numerous as the, st as the, as the stars in the heavens, Isaac was the link to that promise and Abraham didn't understand it. But, but he did, he obeyed. And God was so pleased 
that he swore. And because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And Adam knew now that the seed would be like numerous as the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore. It was done. And God wants to do that with you. To witness to you so powerfully, so wonderfully, and that is what the writer of Hebrews wanted for the people that he wrote, and it's what he wants for you this morning. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've read this morning, Lord. And I pray that our hearts would always be aligned to you. May we know more about you, Lord. May we find out more about you, Lord, because it's when we seek that we find, and when we knock that the door will be open, and when we ask, we shall receive. And this morning, Lord, we ask for more of you. We ask, Lord, that you will teach us your ways, Lord. As you've made a promise and an oath to your children, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the blood covenant, Lord, that washes away our sins, that makes us whiter than snow, Lord, that you you have said, as far as the east is from the west, Lord, that you have placed our sins and you have forgotten about our sins, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross to restore us, to reconcile us back to you even through our sin, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you that even in our sin that you come and that you save us, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory this morning. We give you all the honor, Lord, even in our lives, in spite of what may be going on, in spite of the storms, Lord. We give you praise. We look to you. We lift up our hands and we say, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We look to whence come our help. Our help comes from you. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Thank you for the oath. Thank you for the promise, Lord, over us. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.